And we're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. And we are joined by the one and only Bob Ney, who's coming on for a special 30-minute edition to talk to us about all things D.C. and politics. Bob, welcome. Well, thank you, Kevin. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Why don't we start with the latest uh, news out of Israel and the Israeli ground war and this frustrating telephone conversation that the president of the United States had with uh, the head of Israel, Netanyahu. Right. Uh, first, the the Israelis have expanded the ground operation in Gaza. And, of course, we have went through a couple of weeks where the United Nations tried in about, well, basically three different measures to have a ceasefire. And the United States had stopped that at the Security Council. Finally, the United States um, was part of a, of a watered-down resolution where humanitarian aid could go, but there wouldn't be a ceasefire. So that ended up, you know, the way the U.N., uh, try to take care of uh, what they thought was, you know, stopping basically a ground invasion to continue. Now, of course, Israel has its point of view of protecting itself. So the fact remains now with no particular ceasefire, the Israelis have expanded their ground operation in Gaza, and then they went into a refugee camp, which caused, you know, quite a lot of controversy, you know, obviously, when that uh, type of thing happens. And with the ground uh, escalation, our uh, Secretary of State Blinken will be in the Mideast this week, and they will talk to Netanyahu and the Israeli officials about that. On the meantime, on the other side of this, there was a personal phone call, and they have described it as a frustrating call by Biden to Bibi Netanyahu. And this was on a different issue. This is interesting. It's on a tax revenue issue, Kevin. And uh, it's because this one deals with the West Bank, everything that we've been talking about the last couple of months, is the Gaza Strip. This now deals with the West Bank. And what happened was one of the cabinet members of Netanyahu has suspended tax revenue, which it collects for the Palestinian Authority, then gives it to the Palestinian Authority on the West Bank. And, of course, Hamas controlled Gaza. Palestinian Authority controlled the West Bank. And now it's causing friction because the West Bank Palestinian officials have said, They can't continue security, they can't pay people, and they want the full transfer of the money. So President Biden had a conversation with Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and Bibi Netanyahu did not yield on it. And the problem with that conversation, the reason it became frustrating and I think semi-heated, is because Netanyahu at one time said he would – do this. He would provide the revenues. They would be given to the Palestinian Authority, but he backtracked on it, and he said he doesn't trust the Norwegians. Then the Norwegians were going to be the intermediaries to to do this. What happened really with Netanyahu, though, is one of his cabinet members said, basically, and I'll paraphrase this, that if this is done and they give the Palestinian Authority the money, then he's going to quit. Now, what does that mean for Netanyahu? He has a very precarious coalition as we know he's been in and out as prime minister so this one cabinet member quitting could actually reshuffle the israeli government meaning netanyahu could be out so for right now i think president biden is going to be very frustrated with uh, the west bank not receiving the money uh bob can you fill us in on something that is hard to understand which is given that the given the money that 
the United States sends to Israel, why do why why doesn't Biden take a stronger position on Israel's behavior over there? Is it domestic politics that stops Biden from doing that, or is it something more complicated? What 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 am I missing in this equation? No, it's domestic politics, and you've asked the right question. I was in Congress eleven years, and in the state legislature prior to that, you know, I was 24 years in, in public office and I dealt with, uh, you know, the Israel issue that entire time because it's not just a federal issue. There's a lot of lobbying when it comes to the, you know, to the states also. And what I do want to mention, there are, uh, there are a couple of groups where well, there's a lot of advocacy groups for, for Jewish issues and Israeli issues, which are different uh, sometimes, and sometimes they interact to be, you know, similar, Kevin, but APAC, American Israeli Political Action Committee, is a very, very powerful force in D.C. I mean, very powerful. Right now, they're trying to take out Democratic uh, members of the House uh, that are running, and they're trying to take them out in primaries because they haven't been as supportive of Israel as APAC wants them to be. Now, there's another group, very uh, also a very powerful group called J Street, and that group has problems with APAC. They're both Jewish-oriented groups, but J Street has problems with APAC. J Street accuses APAC of being a Netanyahu front, whereas J Street says that uh, APAC really doesn't address a lot of issues important to Israelis in general and Jewish people. So I do want to clarify this. This is not all you know uniform when it comes to D.C., but APAC is very, very powerful. At one time, there was a video of Netanyahu, who did not get along with Obama, where they asked him, well, what about the American president? And his response was, I don't need him. I can, I got, I've got the support of the American public. And that's an actual video I've actually seen myself. It's not a AI video. And so I think that the power of these groups uh, is something that is, you know, obviously being looked at by Biden. Yet, on the other hand, Biden has a political problem because he's going down the tubes with young people in the Democratic Party over this issue. So I think that the pressure uh, on Biden is severe. You're seeing where Biden's trying to do some things. But as far as really just coming out and saying, hey, you know, if you want our support, you're going to do this. He's not willing to do that at this point in time. Yeah, you mentioned the going down the tubes with young people. I I've got four young people in my family, and uh, boy, it is uh, sitting around the Christmas uh, dinner table. It was very, very clear, uh, and I kept saying to them, "Well, where are you going to go? Who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote for Bobby Kennedy? Are you going to vote for Jill Stein, mm-hmm. Cornell West?" And I kind of assumed that they would sort of come back to Biden, but I, I, I it's fascinating to me. A lot of young people are very not happy with the president and that 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 should be worrisome to him well yes and you know the old theory is this and this is i say old theory because things have changed in modern politics the old theory is okay let them be unhappy they'll come back you know almost to let them eat cake (laughs) you know they'll come back in the fall they won't go with trump but that's not the case anymore a lot of people will go with an alternative person or they won't vote and if they don't vote that is a vote for trump if they don't vote yeah yeah and and i'm reading this poll 
uh, that, that talks about how dissatisfied all voters are with with both candidates. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a bad choice is what voters are telling people. Oh, they are. I mean, this, this polling and you know, I don't I don't live and breathe, you know, and die by polls, but polling has its place and a good indicator. When you start to see poll after poll after poll, and these aren't Fox News polls, these are AP, Associated Press, you know, CNN. When you start to see these polls and you see what's happening with the Latino vote, which Biden's losing, then you see where Donald Trump in five of six swing states has 22 percent of the African-American vote, which is quite unbelievable, frankly. Uh, You know, he's got that. And then you see where Biden has lost, you know, the young people. And then you take a look at the generic poll where, you know, 65 percent, 58 percent, whatever, say, I don't want either one of them. Well, when you have that and either one of them are running, you could almost bet people are going to go in the polls and shut their eyes. I mean, this yeah. is this will make for a very, you know, very close election. No question about it. OK, Bob, uh, we have to deal with former President Donald Trump, who now has been thrown off the ballot in the state of Maine and in the state of Colorado. Uh, The the Supreme Court in Michigan uh, refused to take the case. I want to be clear here. This is about the 14th Amendment, Section 3, get out your Constitution, everybody, Mm -hmm. and read about it. And I think it comes down to two issues. Number one, uh, how do you define... Uh, taking part in an insurrection, and do you believe that Trump in that speech that he made at the Ellipse on January 6th was inciting an insurrection? And uh, boy, two states. This obviously Trump is going to appeal, but uh, and it and it feeds his narrative that this is all political shenanigans by the Democrats. But what do you make of it? Well, the 14th Amendment, you know, which you rightfully have pointed out uh, about Section 3, no person shall be elected to president or vice president or hold office who has previously taken an oath and as a member of Congress, you know, and is not loyal to the United States and to the system. Now, here's the problem with all this. If I was head of the Democrat National Committee, which I'm not, but if I was, I would be calling almost every player in this, and and I would tell them to stop it. Just stop it. Don't do this. Now you have an individual, Secretary of State of Maine, saying, well, I think he's an insurrectionist. He ought to be off the ballot. Why don't they just let a local council person make that decision? I mean, you you can't do this. It, It was enough that the Colorado Supreme Court did it. There has to be some type of legal ruling in a court that makes this, uh, you know, jurisdiction be viable that Trump is an insurrectionist or not. And by the way, if you go through this, it's quite clear that the U.S. Congress has really the decision making because this was started because of the Confederacy and it was aimed at keeping the vice president of the Confederacy out of the United States Congress. So really, Congress has the weigh-in on this, and it's a complicated issue between Congress and the U.S. Supreme Court. So this will not hold up of an individual secretary of state throwing Trump off the ballot, and I argue that they're really giving a lot more power to Trump because 
it is starting to look like we got to keep this guy off, not by the voters. We got to keep this guy off the ballot by doing this individually in states. California is rejecting the idea of doing this. Think about that for a second. California. Yeah. So yeah, and so is so is yeah. Vermont. I would point out that yes. our Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis. I've had her on the show. I've asked her the question, and she's very strong about this. She issued a statement, and she's a, you know, I would call her a liberal Democrat, uh, served in her legislature for many years. And she issued a statement, I believe, last week saying Trump's on the ballot, and that's the end of it. Yes. So this whole effort to do this, again, is helping Trump because then it starts to, in in people's minds, maybe not in the legal court, but in people's minds in the court of public opinion, it looks like, wow, maybe maybe Smith is going after him to to prevent us from voting for or against him. And now they're trying to keep him off the ballot. So it's something that I think they really need to stop doing. Most states have because it will do nothing – but help Trump as they think they're going to hurt him. It's going to help him. Bob, let's move to Nikki Haley. Nothing <laughs> like nothing like a question in New Hampshire to uh, I mean, the media is going crazy about this. I got to wonder whether it really matters. But here's what happened. Uh, she was asked at a town meeting of some sort in New Hampshire. Uh, Haley is running for president uh, against Trump in the Republic for the Republican nomination. Uh, about the cause of the Civil War, and she did not mention slavery. And now the media is going crazy. I'm not sure it matters, but what's your take? Well, this is interesting. You know, if you and I, Kevin and Bob, were sitting down to have a a historical intellectual discussion about the Civil War, we could get into a lot of areas, right? We could get into the southern states wanted to assert their authority over the federal government. We could get into the fact that the new newly formed Republican Party had a candidate, Abraham Lincoln, and if he was elected, it was a clear signal to the South that they've lost influence. Okay, that's that's another part to it. And we could talk about, uh, you know, the uh, cultural differences and we could talk about economics, you know, and all those things. But somewhere in our conversation, and it's going to be wound through our conversation, is going to be slavery. So if you're having an intellectual conversation about the Civil War, you can go down to its history, how it started, these decisions, and, of course, slavery. When you're Nikki Haley, you need to say slavery. And or you need to say multiple reasons, but obviously slavery was intertwined as a main issue. Why she did what she did, honestly, is beyond me. Now, I agree with you. I don't think this is she came back and, you know, retracted and restated. But um, the other thing that disappointed me about Nikki Haley, because she's very articulate and she's very smart. Uh, believe me, uh, you know, I've watched her uh, on you know, shows where she gives an hour's worth of answers for things. She, she's very, you know, intellectual. What amazes me, though, is when they came back later and said, well, that was a plant. Well, guess what? I've done a lot. I've done hundreds yeah. of town hall forums. Guess what? Yeah, we plant people in those and they plant people in those. I'm not going to lie. You know, we do it. Sure. They do it. Yep. Welcome to the, to the uh, big boy and girl circle here. So when they came out and said, well, it was a plant, well, so what? You know, I, I, I just thought they handled this one very badly. I don't think it, it ends her uh, at all. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I, she's been, like all Republican candidates, trying to thread that needle with not offending the Trump voter, uh, the Trump base. 
while trying to seem like a more rational and, and professional uh, alternative to Trump. And, uh, you know, I, I, she's, she just didn't, she didn't do it very effectively. And when you're out on the, what does David Axelrod say about a presidential campaign? It's an MRI for the soul. You're going to make mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I was, I was Bob, a bit surprised how she handled it. Bob. Um, okay. What's the biggest story of 2023? Is it? Uh, I think. I. Oh, go ahead. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's democracy. But you go ahead. Well, I think the biggest political uh, story of 2023 is uh, 15 rounds for the speaker, and then another speaker. <laughs> I think it's it's the internal firing squad of the Republicans in the U.S. House is is kind of the the biggest uh, political story. Yeah, boy, you know, it's funny. We spent the first hour on the big story and the U.S. speakers race did not come up. Mm -hmm. And boy, you're right. But I got to wonder, with these young people opting out of the system, you and I focus on that speaker's race and, and, and the upheaval in the Congress. But what if nobody cares? I mean, it's not a big issue for kids under 30. Well, I think you raised the question, what if nobody cares? I just did a show in West Virginia, and it just so happens the moderator of that show that I did this morning was um, a former host that would host debates that I was actually in, you know? And we talked about this, and he asked me, he said, you know, when I was running all those times, issues would come up at these debates. Balancing the nation's budget, education, immigration, you know, uh, charter schools, uh, vouchers, you, you name it, they would come up, right? And today, that really doesn't happen. It's more of a, of a theatrics and a bigger picture, it, it, you know, our democracy, where does it stand, where does it go? But we were talking this morning, and I said, you know, I think people are kind of immune to things. I guess in younger people in particular, um, a lot of the – of the big issues that were out there of the day, they don't seem to be on the docket for recent times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and predictions for, uh, for 2024. Uh, my big one is this, this 2024 election is going to be a doozy and I, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to make a bizarre prediction that, Biden and Harris don't run, and then Trump doesn't run, and we have new candidates. That's my bizarre prediction. And it's you because know, Biden said, doesn't, somebody doesn't said, run. Yep. So, somebody said that to me just the other day, and it's uh, I don't know whether it's wishful thinking on people's part or, or whether or whether uh, it's there's some basis in reality. But I bet that discussion is going on very quietly in some Democratic circles. Sure it is, and that's why I I do bring it up, because it is a possibility, and I do argue, of course, Trump has a more vibrant, solid base supporting him than Biden. I understand that. But if Biden drops out, takes Harris with him, and they don't run, the end result is going to be that it will be a total different battlefield for Trump, and it may influence his decision uh, to not run because of of new people. But, uh, But either way, if that happened... But let's go back to 
what maybe is going to be a Trump-Biden rematch. And I agree, it's going to be this one. It'll be like you take a shotgun and you shoot a map and all the pellets disperse across the, the map of the U.S. It's going to be the same way in the sense of politically, it's just like a shotgun because it's going to be small groups opposed to Trump or opposed to Biden and Trump's losing certain people and Biden's losing certain people. It's going to, I think, come down to one of the most probably horrific and tough uh, close elections absolutely in American history. I mean, this could be another Gore versus Bush where, you know, a few hundred votes decided something in Florida. And and that's the politics, Bob, of it. But I got to think, you know, we're all in some way now uh, uh, experts on Donald Trump. This kind of upheaval and craziness is something that he uh, he, he, this is what he lives for. And he, even though he's facing years and years in prison, it seems like he lives for this kind of thing. I have never in my life in politics and I've been in it and I went through multiple elections for 24 years, had to fight to keep the district. It was 16% Republican. So obviously I always had to fight to keep the district. It was always a battle. Then I got in trouble and I had to battle the legal system, et cetera. And I'm sitting back reflecting on all this just for myself. And I'm looking at Trump, which is magnified a thousand times of what I would have went through. And I, I've never seen, frankly, a stronger constitution of somebody continuing to go. This would have, this would have taken somebody else out. They would have yeah. simply quit by now. Absolutely. You, one thing, whether people like Trump or not, you got to look at the fact that his resilience is quite amazing, especially for politics. Usually by this time, a person is so finished that they're, they're, they're just you know running away and hiding. Well, it's a measure. Uh, Maybe the biggest story in 2023 is how our political system has been changed by him, because in 1988, uh, Joe Biden plagiarized a a speech or two, and he was out of the race by sundown. And now, uh, I, you know, nothing seems to. Yeah, nothing has really changed. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Bob Nay, as always, uh, we appreciate your. everything you bring to the show and uh and thank you for coming on for this extended period of time happy new year and uh, we'll see you next year i appreciate you and the listeners thank you happy new year okay forgot to ask bob whether he thinks uh bernie sanders is going to run for re-election but we will talk about that after the break you're listening to vermont viewpoint i'm kevin ellis and uh we'll take your calls after this uh you're listening to wdev We are back for our last segment. We're going to talk about predictions. I'm Kevin Ellis. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. We take your calls this half hour, 244-1777. Send me an email at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. So tell me, what are your predictions for 2024? It doesn't have to be about politics. It can be about anything. I've got a, I've got a list in front of me, but uh, I'd love to hear yours. Um, and I'll start with a big one. As I just said with Bob Nay, the 2024 election is going to be a doozy. 
It will test us in a way that 2016 and 2020 uh, didn't. It's going to go beyond that. Why? Because since 2020, Donald Trump now faces 91 criminal charges and uh, a host of other legal and political problems. Uh, It is clear that he is the front runner for the Republican nomination. uh, And it doesn't look like anybody is going to be able to uh, uh, take him out, although it seems like secretaries of state in the secretary of state in Maine is going to try. Uh, the 14th Amendment prohibits people from participating in an insurrection uh, from serving in uh, in federal office. Uh, does does that cover Trump? Hard to know. Joe Biden is over 80 years old uh, and by his own admission is is old uh, and pretty clear that there is a conversation going on in the Democratic Party nationally about uh, him not being the guy. And, you know, people are trained in Republican and Democratic circles to, to go with the front runner and go with the nominee. But I guarantee you, there's a lot of people saying, boy, I wish you wouldn't run. Uh, we have a strong bench, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But whatever happens, this 2024 election for president is going to be something like we've never seen before. Uh, I think we've got a caller. I think we've got Don from Elmore on the line. Don, welcome to the show. Good morning, fellas. Bob, I've uh... Appreciated your comments for years, and I'm glad that Kevin's got you on there for so long this morning. But uh, I was raised in a Republican family, but I uh, I cannot stomach the way the Republican Party has gone since it first morphed into the Tea Party and got worse since then. But to me, the best thing for this country for the next election would be to find Donald Trump convicted and in federal prison. That would keep him off the ballot. That would end the situation. But as far as the Democrats are concerned that have howled about him for years, the Democrats elected Donald Trump, in my opinion, because if they had nominated anybody but Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump would never have made the presidency. I'd like you to think on that one. But I will also say, Bob, that I I have to agree with the way you've headed. You haven't really said it that way. I think we're going to see the lowest vote count in the next presidential election that we have seen in a decade or more. And I'll leave you with that. Thank well, you. Let me let me let me ask you a question. Why? It, it, oh, I think we lost him. Well, th- thanks, Don and Elmore. Thanks for the call. Yeah, it's. Well, we could talk for an entire show about 2016 and why the Democrats uh, put up Hillary Clinton for uh, as their nominee. Clearly an unpopular choice. On the other hand, I, I, I totally get your point. On the other hand, she got more votes than any popular votes than any candidate in history. So it's uh, yeah, she was uh, she was a flawed candidate for sure. Um, and. Yeah, would Trump have uh, in 2016 beaten another Democrat? Hard to say. All right. Prediction number two: Bernie Sanders will run for re-election. Uh, if I'm wrong and he doesn't run, 
and, and he's 82 right now with COVID. Uh, he put out a statement on Twitter yesterday saying, uh, I've got COVID and I'm, uh, uh, my symptoms are, symptoms are minor. I'm fully vaccinated and I'll be working from home. Um, but I, I, he's 82 years old. I got to think he runs for re-election in 2024. We'll have a decision. I think we'll have an announcement quite soon. I just don't. I just think he's. It's in his blood. I think this is a guy who lives for the office, lives for the campaign, lives for TV, lives for going down on the Senate floor. Uh, it, I've said this before. I think. I was in Mexico five years ago, uh, renting a crummy old bicycle from a guy. And, uh, he said in Spanish, where are you from? And I'm not, my Spanish isn't that good. And I told him I was from Vermont and he immediately lit up like a light bulb. And he said, Bernie Sanders. And it was at that moment that I realized that after uh, Bernie had run for president that, uh, it, it, he could be next to Trump the most recognized political figure in the world. Um, the guy has built a huge worldwide reputation and, and brand. And uh, whatever you think of Bernie, uh, you know the guy lives for this world, and I just don't know what he would do if he gave it up and did what Pat Leahy did and came home. Um, now, you know, he, he, you'd see him at Henry's diner for breakfast. He would, you know, he'd be busier than ever. He'd write another book. He would, uh, he'd be making speeches, uh, and commanding a huge fee for those speeches. Uh, so it's not like he'll sit in the easy chair and watch sports. I think he'll be, he'll be seriously active no matter what he does. Uh, but, that's my prediction. I think he's going to run. I think he likes it too much. Uh, but if he doesn't run, let's let's game out some predictions there. If Bernie Sanders does not run for re-election, uh, I I predict that Congresswoman Becca Ballant will run for his Senate seat, and then that means that Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman's got a decision to make. Um, he'll figure in there somewhere in the calculus, but whether he runs against ballot for that Senate seat. Uh, will he run as a progressive? Will he run? He's a longtime progressive, but he's also won the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor. Uh, he's played that same game, the same game that Bernie Sanders has played. Uh, would Zuckerman challenge uh, Becca Ballant in a Democratic primary for that Senate seat? Would Zuckerman run for the House? Would he run for governor? Um, which leads us to Prediction number three, Phil Scott runs again. Why, you ask, would a sane human being run for yet another term at what is, to my mind, a very, very difficult job? Uh, I've always thought that uh, that governor is, is just a tough, tough job. Every day you come in to the office, you've got another, well, not just in the office. Every time your phone rings, uh, it's something new. Uh, a bridge is is about to collapse. Uh, there's been, you know, there's been a shooting in Burlington, uh, and the and the mayor of Burlington's on the phone. Uh, there there is just unknown. You know, the Democrats want to do X, Y, or Z in the legislature, and he's got to go out 
as he did last week and say, uh, there's no more money. Uh, it's going to be a tight budget this year, trying to keep the keep the liberal Democrats at bay when it comes to spending. It's every day and, and it's everything from a pothole in Newport to to some something going on in Bennington. And he's got to deal with it every day. That's got to wear on a guy. However, I've always thought, and I remember meeting with him once and, and learning that he uh, gets, he's up every morning by 5 a.m. and he's off for a 10 to 20 mile bike ride uh, before the day even starts. Um, I, I've often thought that he's a very competitive guy. And I think he feels as if he cannot turn over the state's finances to the Democratic Party. I, I think that's I think that's right. And you saw it in the number of bills that he has vetoed over the last two legislative sessions. Uh, I just don't think he wants to turn the state completely over to the Democratic Party, which is what would happen because Bill Scott has walked away from the Republican Party or better yet, the Republican Party's walked away from Bill Scott. And uh, so they don't really talk to each other. He doesn't go to their parties. They don't come to his parties. So Bill Scott has built his own political party. If he runs again, he'll win. So why not run again? So there's my number two prediction. Phil, uh, number three prediction. After uh, the 24 election is going to be a doozy, Bernie Sanders will run for re-election, and I think Phil Scott runs again for re-election too. But keep an eye on that Bernie announcement because if Bernie decides not to run and live live uh, live life in the private sector suddenly, uh, that's going to switch a lot of chairs on this uh, boat of Vermont politics. So, um, and Phil Scott will run again. I don't think he has. I don't think he wants to run against Bernie Sanders. But uh, we've seen we've seen crazier things. Okay, those are my first three predictions. We'll take more of yours. Give me a call at 244-1777. I've got some more. Uh, electric vehicles, climate change, flooding. Does Trump go to jail? We've got plenty more where that came from. Let's take a break uh, for our last, uh, and we'll come back with our last segment. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back, and welcome back. Kevin Ellis, and it's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV, and we're doing predictions for 2024. We'll take your calls, 244-1777. We're running out of time, so get 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 on the phone. Um, my first few uh, were uh, were predictions were about the upcoming 24 election, which I think is going to test us in all sorts of interesting ways. Number two, I think Bernie Sanders is going to run for re-election. I think Phil Scott's going to run for re-election. Here's my next one. Um, Electric vehicles. Uh, Electric vehicles are going to keep coming, uh, but I think they're going to come a little slower than we thought. Why? Because the charging stations and the infrastructure necessary to charge those cars are coming a lot slower than we thought, a lot slower than I thought. as the driver of one of these electric vehicles, uh, which is a Chevy Bolt, uh, it's not that easy to find a charging station that can charge you up in less than, in 15 minutes or less. There's a couple in Montpelier, 
uh, but they're hard to find. And having just driven across the country, I guarantee you we didn't drive my Chevy Bolt because there just are not the charging stations. I read a story about how the Biden administration is, how pleased they are with the rollout of all the electric charging stations all over the country. I got to tell you, I, nothing illustrates the gap between what government officials say and what voters feel than that statement, because the, the, the approval of the money to build out the charging infrastructure all over the country happened two years ago. And guess how many of the charging stations under the Biden administration have been built? One. And it's in Ohio. Um, and I just couldn't believe reading that, that how pleased they were with that. And uh, I'll tell you, most CEOs would say it should have happened by now. This, sh- this should have been uh, 10,000 of these things because uh, people have electric cars. And if you're going to do the electric economic transformation and get people out of their gas guzzlers and into electric cars, they got to have charging stations and they've got to be affordable. So uh, I think the electric car rollout because of the, of the slow development of the charging station infrastructure is going to be slower than we thought. Okay. Let's take a call uh, from Andy in Callis. Andy, welcome to the show. Got a prediction for me? Yeah, Kevin, how you doing? Um, yeah, well, I have a hope and a prediction. If Nikki Haley and Phil Scott ran together, I feel they would pull the center together, and I think they'd clean house. Okay, keep well. Hold, don't don't hang up. So okay, okay. I I assume you think Nikki Haley as uh, president and Phil Scott for vice president, right? Correct. Oh, that's really interesting. To yeah, a, a Southerner and a New Englander. What makes you think they could win? Well, I mean, Nikki Haley's not my favorite. I don't agree with her on any on everything. Um, we do yeah. follow each other on Twitter, and what I've noticed is that she's strong-willed. She kind of has the wrong ideas about things and gets caught threading the needle. If you know what I mean, like you were talking about earlier, but. uh I feel like if she had the balance of Phil Scott, one of the best supported Republican governors ever, and then, you know, him to kind of balance out her tenacity, if you know what I mean. Right, right, right. Boy, that's really interesting. You know, I hadn't thought of that. You're bringing up something I hadn't thought of, which is Phil Scott as a potential vice president. That's a fascinating uh, do you do you think do you think Phil Scott's uh, anti-Trump uh, stance would hurt him hurt that ticket with with the Trump voter? I don't. Uh, yeah, to a degree, I'm sure it would. But at the same time, um, I think most of America is actually more adult, and they're just looking for the adults in the room. Yeah, and and I feel like Nikki Haley and Phil Scott are you know. Like I said, I don't agree with any everything with either one of them, but I do respect Nikki Haley's like firmness, and I also like Phil Scott's pragmatic. You know, he's really good at bring both bring the center together. <clears throat> yeah, there, there. Well, he's certainly done it here. I mean, in a, in a way that uh, I've said this so many times on the show, like 
he got more votes than Bernie Sanders in Vermont. I mean, the guy just That's crazy. The guy just can't be beat. Yeah. Well, Andy, that's food for thought. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kevin. That's a really interesting suggestion. Phil Scott is a national candidate. Um, you know, he'd be good. He, he, I'll tell you, very few, very few flies on Phil Scott in terms of uh, being a national candidate. I, I know that my friends in the housing community are jumping up and down right now saying, you know, he's really failed on the, the unhoused population and the shutting down of the, of the uh, temporary housing program. Uh, in the middle of the legislative session last year, I guess it was in June. Um, you know, I, I, you know, Phil Scott bears some responsibility for that, but so do we all. I mean, we've all got to, we've all got to figure out this housing situation. Starts with the legislature, starts with the governor, and uh, we'll see what they come up with this year. Uh, there's another prediction that another housing bill will pass, and it's going to contain more money for housing. And it's going to, I hope, once and for all, resolve this debate over development in Vermont, Act 250, uh, and the, uh, the, the redundancies between Act 250 and local zoning issues. I thought they had solved that last legislative session. turns out they really didn't. And uh, it, they really need to resolve that because uh, we need to build housing in this state. And... I saw something on Twitter from an expert who said that we we need to build 40,000 housing units in the state. I saw that there's a developer in Williston that wants to build, I think it's 93 units. Um, that, that would be a start. Um, here's a question before we sign off. Uh, I, I don't, here's a prediction. I don't think Trump goes to prison, by the way. Uh, certainly doesn't go to prison before the election. I think I think they will the, the both the process and the Trump team will delay 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 so that uh they can continue claiming that this is a democratic witch hunt. Um there's my prediction. I just don't think he goes to prison uh either before the election or even after. Um so I there's my there's another prediction. And here's a hope. Before we sign off for this week, uh, my hope to everyone is that you have a wonderful and happy new year. Vermont's got a lot of challenges in front of it, uh, from fentanyl and homelessness and you know climate change, flooding, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? Uh, we've demonstrated that we've got a strong democracy. We've got a legislature that cares. We've got a governor that cares. They work. They work incredibly hard, and uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get through this 2024 uh, election, and we're gonna come out better for it. I want to thank you all for joining me today. Uh, that's our show. My thanks to our guests uh, for joining me, Joanna Grossman. Uh, so great to have her voice on the show. Bob Nay, uh, always fantastic to have him. Always uh, looking for guests who will provoke us, inform us, and challenge us. Uh, you can stay tuned for Bill Sayer after this. I, uh, I think he's got Jim, former Governor Jim Douglas on the show. So always fun to listen to them. My best to both of them for a happy new year. I saw the governor just got a big award from the Addison County or the Middlebury Republican Party. Uh, 
saw his picture. I think it was on Digger. Remember, you can stream the show live or listen later as a podcast at WDEC.com anytime, anywhere. As always, we talk politics, media, the culture, everything else on my mind and yours. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. I'm broadcasting remotely from California, which is a lot of fun. So thanks to everybody at DEV and the radio station WKMR, Community Radio, and Point Race Station California for lending me their studio. Uh, our show's produced by me, engineered and made possible by Brent Curtis, Danny McGivrigan, Lee Cattell, Greg Titus, and Steve Cormier today in the booth, and all the folks at WDEV. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here next Wednesday, and we'll have a whole new slate of uh, guests and subjects. We'll always take your calls, uh, and we uh, I, we had a great time doing uh, the big stories this year and then our predictions in 2024. Um, we've got a lot of, lot to talk about in, in 2024, and uh, we'll see if my predictions come true. I hope you wrote them all down. I know I did, because uh, I want to, when we come to the end of next year, if we're still around, uh, God willing, we will uh, we'll see how many of my predictions came true. So join us, and we'll see you, we'll see you here Wednesday, right here on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on the Friendly Pioneer WDEV. Mm-hmm.